Often, we look outside for answers that reside within us. In a world of self-inflicted distractions, is unlimited access to information a cure or an addiction? And is the definition of wisdom changing now that endless knowledge is virtually free? Welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of the Evolve Faster Podcast. I'm Scott Ely. Information Mainlining and the Folly of Modern Wisdom Paul needed a best-selling book. He had big plans that depended on it. But looking at the pages in front of him, his blood boiled at the reality. His publisher would once again tell him it was severely lacking. It infuriated Paul to no end. Not that he would say it, but that he was right. And as he glanced at the new sections he'd added over the last three weeks, what he read now was actually worse, not better. It just made no sense. His superior mind and life philosophy had always ensured he never failed. His deadline was approaching rapidly. What in the hell was he going to do? Paul's life philosophy was rooted in the maxim that knowledge is power. If you asked Paul, there wasn't a bigger truth. By his teenage years, Paul realized he was always one, if not ten, steps ahead of others, and this created a strong sense of self-confidence in him. He realized this advantage came from his constant thirst for harnessing information. So, naturally, Paul continued gathering knowledge everywhere he could, and his ambitions grew greater with each year. Fueled by his self-confidence and the acknowledgement of everything he did, Paul began to resent everyone he believed was less intelligent. He even resented himself for having to sleep, as he believed sleeping was nothing but a waste of precious time. Some people believed that ignorance is bliss, but Paul thought they were foolish. He would take knowledge and therefore power over bliss any day of the week. You can imagine where this mindset brought Paul in life. By his late 20s, he was already considered to be one of the up-and-coming theoretical physicists, and his brilliance brought him worldwide scientific recognition. By his 30s, Paul wrote many highly praised scientific papers, and currently he was working on his first book. With this book, Paul would create his legacy. He didn't just want more recognition by other scientists. Paul had set his sights on being among those rare scientists whose work made them a household name. Who wouldn't want nerdy internet memes created about your work, with your face and clever quotes beneath it? Even better, who wouldn't want people coming up with smart quotes and putting your face as the symbol of ingenuity and wisdom? Paul couldn't think of anything he wanted more. That was the plan, at least. And he knew he needed a popular book to start down that path. But every time he talked to his publisher, Sid, the guy would go on saying how the book has the knowledge, but it simply lacked any meaningful insight. And so Paul would get pissed off. The publisher doesn't know what he's saying. This book would be the magnum opus of everything there is to know about quantum physics. It wasn't supposed to be a crash course on how to become a physicist in seven days. Still, although he would never admit it out loud, Paul knew deep down that Sid was right. The main reason he had hired Sid was that he was one of the rare people Paul somewhat admired. Again, something else he would probably never admit out loud. Paul didn't know a lot about him 
because he'd never bothered to ask him anything personal. That would be a waste of his time, of course. But it was well known in the publishing industry that although Sid had come from a wealthy family, he had decided to abandon his inheritance and start from nothing on his own, with no safety nets made of money or prestige. Since Paul had been forced to make it on his own as well, he respected this about Sid. But beyond that, he felt Sid was an idiot. Maybe just a bit less of an idiot than the rest. The guy would constantly advise Paul with various philosophical and touchy-feely sounding perspectives on what he should be considering with his book and his life. It drove Paul's analytical mind insane. It was something like one of those weird Sherlock Holmes-Watson relationships. Except in this case, Holmes could hardly stand to be around Watson, except for when he needed him for something. Sid felt that Paul's book was missing insight and wisdom. The knowledge was there, the information was there, but the wisdom that goes beyond everything and gives depth and perspective was missing. It made Paul furious because he felt like he understood everything. Paul felt that ultimately, wisdom came from knowledge alone. Information was power after all. So he kept updating his book with more and more facts, data, and analyses. Every time something new came out, he included it in his book. He liked to think of himself as a black hole for knowledge. Once it got sucked into the gravitational pull of his brain, there was no going back. Nevertheless, the more he did it, the more Paul felt this was a never-ending quest for what exactly. It was driving him nuts. He was a black hole going insane, he thought. And as ridiculous as that thought was, he was struggling to even be able to laugh at himself right now. This made him do something he never felt like doing, reading some philosophy work on wisdom that Sid had recommended. In fact, he'd read all of that and more. Looking for this unknown missing link became like a quest. Every time he wasn't busy with official work, Paul would turn on his phone and explore the philosophical vastness. The knowledge was there and he was set to find it. He approached it the way he did with all subjects, large volumes of information on the subject. He would drown himself in the knowledge until the answer became clear. Paul learned that explanations and understandings of wisdom are very old. The ancient Greeks thought wisdom was one of four cardinal virtues, along with justice, courage, and temperance. To Socrates and Plato, philosophy was the love of wisdom, and Aristotle distinguished two different kinds of wisdom, theoretical wisdom and practical wisdom. For Aristotle, to say a person has theoretical wisdom would be to say he knows a substantive amount of necessary truths, for example, mathematical truths and truths of logic, and scientific first principles. Well, that's certainly me, Paul said to himself. So why do I feel I lack something? But according to Aristotle, the distinguishing feature of a man who has practical wisdom is to know what sorts of things would be beneficial for him and how to learn how to live well. But additionally, Aristotle's deliberations on wisdom made it clear that it seems quite possible to be very good or wise when it comes to theoretical thinking, but very unwise when it comes to practical matters and vice versa. This struck a nerve with Paul as it reminded him of the stereotype he wanted to avoid. The one of a brilliant scientist whose personal life is a total mess. He knew many scientists who were like this, 
were others who could only have a conversation about their small area of science and nothing more. Such people are aware of a huge number of complicated scientific principles, and they possess an immense amount of theoretical knowledge. But they often aren't able to use this knowledge to make their life better. They know everything there is to know about the universe, but when it comes to things like basic communication, they're like a child seeing rain for the first time. They just stand there with their mouths open. This line of thinking also made Paul think of Alan Turing, the genius usually credited with the development of theoretical computer science. What did this socially awkward genius have that I don't? Even after more than 50 years, Turing is still remembered, and he will always be remembered. I'm as smart as him, if not more, and I've discovered things that will help humanity for many years to come. Yet my name won't be remembered. I have every right to be one of the stars in this great scientific sky for common people to admire. And stars aren't meant to be on the ground where a common man can touch them. So what's keeping me from creating my legacy? He knew he understood everything Aristotle was trying to say. And how wouldn't he? Paul was a genius who processed complex knowledge like a walk in the park. If he could understand quantum physics, philosophy should be a piece of cake. Paul continued his search by exploring what psychologists and sociologists had to say about wisdom. They researched wisdom by studying people who are clear exemplars of wisdom. According to them, Socrates is considered to be one of such people. Socrates is wise because he, unlike the others, believes he knows nothing. So what are they trying to say? That being wise comes with humility and lack of knowledge? Foolish thoughts. Again, Paul couldn't help but talk out loud. Wisdom isn't ignorance. If I don't know anything about neuroscience, and I believe that I don't know anything about it, does it mean that I am wise about neuroscientific matters? Paul couldn't help but laugh loudly about what Socrates was saying. And to think that this guy is also still remembered even after two millennia have passed. Paul wrote down a single sentence. Wisdom can't be the same as ignorance, but the opposite. Wisdom is knowledge, which can only mean that wisdom is power. Paul continued contemplating on it. Wise people must be very knowledgeable people. They need to know more than the rest. So the more information you harness, the wiser you become. But now he was describing himself again. So what's the problem? Paul was again starting to get frustrated, so he decided to call Sid. Although he knew the call would only make him angrier, he always ended up calling his Watson when his analytical brain seemed to fail. And being the only such person he knows, the publisher was the best option for a talk. So he called him, explained everything he'd read until now, and how it wasn't bringing him any closer to the answer. Look, Paul, it's what I've been trying to tell you the whole time. Your book is an excellent collection of knowledge, maybe even the best there is, but it simply lacks insight. Despite the fact that many people think wisdom is nothing more than knowledge, these two things differ significantly. You need to understand this. Knowledge is just the accumulation of facts and information. In contrast, wisdom is the ability to synthesize this knowledge. It's one thing to know a lot. It's quite another to know what's important. Although your book contains knowledge that's understandable to you, 
its scope is too broad even for other scientists, and it will be completely useless to a common person like me. And what's the use of stuffing all that knowledge into a book that nobody can find useful? Paul was trying to keep his composure. So what are you saying? That I should simplify my book? That I should bring it to a lower level? I'm not turning my masterpiece into some self-help physics book. Not for you or anyone else. Sid continued talking calmly. I'm not telling you to do so. I'm just saying you should analyze and distinguish relevant from irrelevant, important from unimportant, and draw distinctions and insights that have a broad impact from all the minutiae. Sid stopped for a second and then continued. From what you've read so far, wouldn't you say that wisdom comes from the ability to see the bigger picture? You know, the ability to see things from many points of view. Also, wise people are considered to be very mature, capable of dealing with any obstacle they encounter. They're also able to make decisions under pressure and in difficult circumstances. I believe you're succeeding in the second part, but failing at the first, seeing the big picture. I'm working with a professor who's doing a book on modern philosophy. Maybe some of the research he's showed me lately can help you out. There's a woman named Monica Ardelt who's an associate professor of sociology at the University of Florida. And she thinks there are three main dimensions of wisdom. First, there's the cognitive dimension. This dimension is all about a desire to understand things, including the limits of our knowing deeply. This is probably the main characteristic of all wise people. That's you, Paul. The second dimension includes the capacity for self-reflection and the ability to see things from different perspectives. We typically think of wise people as completely unbiased and without any prejudices. Well, the capacity to see things from different perspectives is what liberates your mind from limiting factors of prejudices. And finally, there's the effective dimension. This means that wisdom essentially comes with empathy and compassion. I don't think I need to explain why I think you and your book lack the last two elements. This time, Paul did lose his composure. God, you are as stupid as I thought you are. Seeing a bigger picture that includes the perspectives of uninformed idiots, empathy and compassion? I'm not here to teach clueless fools or to make people feel better. I'm here to present my knowledge and prove that I'm one of the greatest scientists that ever lived. Sid sighed loudly through the phone. Look, Paul, today I have a conversation with this science fiction writer about his latest book, some dystopian novel. I need to go. And with this, the publisher hung up the phone. Paul screamed as he was walking to the bathroom. God damn it, do I always have to do everything myself? He continued searching the internet to try and find something useful, which would solve whatever problem was currently plaguing him. In this case, to prove Sid wrong and to fix his book. In this rage, as he was maniacally typing search queries into his phone while at the toilet. Paul's phone slipped and fell into the urine bath with a disgusting splash. The anger that spurred out of him was like an erupting volcano. Paul began yelling and throwing things around himself like a maniac. He'd never felt so unhinged, angry, and lost before. And all the imagery in his head of the mad scientist poured out of him. Papers and books were flying all over the place, like a chaotic hurricane, with Paul 
being the eye of the storm. Even though it felt juvenile, it felt good. Like a release of years of frustration about something wrong with him that he'd never admitted until this point. As a final assault, he flipped his desk over as a sort of metaphor for the source of everything Paul hated at this moment. Only at the last second did he realize his laptop was on the table underneath some books and papers. And in what seemed like slow motion, he watched it crash open onto the floor. Now he actually felt like a child who needed punishment. He didn't expect this silly rage to end in actual damage that would cost him. Realizing he lost both his temper as well as all his usual tools to gather new knowledge, Paul fell on the floor, defeated. With his arms and legs splayed, he lay there, breathing loudly while staring at the ceiling. Everything went silent except for the clock, and Paul's thoughts drowned in the sound of each passing second. In this unsettling calm left behind after the childish hurricane, everything was silent for once. For the first time in his life, Paul felt completely defeated, something that had never really happened to him before, especially at his own hand. And also for the first time, he was lying there awake doing absolutely nothing. He wasn't thinking, he wasn't reading, he wasn't planning, he wasn't occupied with his work. He simply was. As Paul lay there trying to calm down, the seconds seemed to merge until he no longer knew for how long he was there. Minutes? Maybe even hours? At one point, Paul discovered something he never thought was there. He was alone with his mind and he wasn't attempting to think. And for the first time, he let it happen. After some time, he felt peaceful. Then Paul uttered the first thought that came to him, which was about Alan Turing. I can never be like him. I just can't. Like a machine getting started, he slowly allowed his brain to work again. This time, fully cleared of the manic fog it usually had. He remembered Turing saying, those who can imagine anything can create the impossible. And that's when the Eureka moment happened for Paul, the first of his life. Before this, every important thing he had published scientifically had come with brute force toil. After lying on the floor for an unknown amount of time, he sat bolt upright as if on a spring. For his entire life, Paul had functioned in cold facts and analytics, while his imagination was left to collect dust. And for his entire life, he ignored everyone around him. This blinded him in seeing the potential he was desperately looking for. Finally, his book was the reflection of his brain. Cold facts and no insight, as Sid had noted. There wasn't a single bit of wisdom in it, and he knew it. He needed to contact Sid back, but how? His phone was enjoying a dip in the golden hot tub, and he'd just broken his laptop. But in that thought, he glanced down and he could see a light glowing on the laptop's edge. Paul picked up his laptop, only to realize it was completely fine. He shook his head in a strange emotional mixture of shock, disgust, and relief. This made Paul wonder how many times in his life had he acted so compulsively. He thought himself to be a genius, a scientist who doesn't let his emotions get in the way of his thinking. Yet, in this rage, he concluded his laptop was dead 
without even checking it first. Paul logged into his Skype account, hoping his publisher would be online, and luckily, he was. Without even thinking, he started a video call with him. Yes, Paul, what now? I thought I told you I'd be busy with my other client. Paul couldn't remember the last time he actually saw the publisher's face. But there he was, a man who cared for him and his work, yet Paul treated him like trash. He looked very tired. But also, he realized for the first time how clearly difficult Sid found it to speak with him. He could see it in his face and hear it in his voice. Is this how everyone feels about interacting with me? He wondered. Look, Sid, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. But I think I finally understand. You said I could never be wise because I lack two elements. I finally understand what you were trying to say. All this time, I've been trying to become wise by arming myself with new knowledge, never reflecting on who I am and what my flaws are. My knowledge allows me to see so much ahead, and my book is filled with complex information. But without creativity, without imagination, what's the use? How can I hope to reach people's hearts without contemplating on how those people feel? The reason people like Turing or Einstein were able to create a legacy was that they knew how to present something complex in a simple fashion. And that's the true wisdom I don't have. And I'm not sure if I ever will. And I don't think I've ever bothered to try and see something from someone else's perspective. The thought literally never crossed my mind as being necessary. Paul noticed Sid's face lighting up slowly as he was getting ready to answer. About the thing I was telling you earlier, Paul, do you think it's possible for someone to have only one of the dimensions and still be considered a wise man? Can people be wise in one context and unwise in another? If you imagine a psychopath, that is, a man who doesn't have anything even remotely resembling compassion or empathy, but he has the knowledge and can see the bigger picture, would that guy be a wise person? Can he fully self-reflect and deeply understand things if the emotional aspect of himself is completely missing? With Sid asking this, Paul noticed how for the first time, he wasn't feeling the usual anger towards Sid. He realized Sid was probably wiser than he could ever hope to be. Still, he decided to give his answer. I think I understand now why it's not possible to deeply understand what other beings are going through if you lack empathy, which would also mean I'll never reach anyone with a different perspective as mine, which is, let's face it, just about everyone alive. How is it possible to see things from many perspectives if you don't have a deep understanding of others? People need to harness knowledge and they need to know how to use knowledge to understand things. We need to understand things to understand other people. I only managed to achieve the first step, harnessing the knowledge, but I've been stuck in this spot ever since. And with knowledge alone, nobody can hope to be wise, but it does seem possible to achieve being an egoistic prick. Am I talking to the same Paul? Paul whom I talked to an hour ago who told me I'm stupid? What could have possibly changed in just an hour or so that would turn a wise guy into the makings of a wise man so suddenly? Let's just say I had a eureka moment inspired by the bathroom. It was Socrates who said that wisdom begins in wonder. 
Who knew that wonder could come from the toilet? Perhaps it is a good place to think, after all. So, what about your book? Well, it will take me some time to rewrite it, but this time, it will be great. I think I finally know what's missing. And with that, Paul and Sid finished their Skype chat. While Paul was picking up his phone out of the toilet and washing his hands, Sid sat there thinking about Paul and the 180-degree turnaround that had just happened. What happened to Paul? Do people need to go through this type of mental chaos to achieve greatness? He remembered a quote by the philosopher George Santayana, who said, chaos is a name for any order that produces confusion in our minds. More often than not, obstacles we face in our everyday life are nothing more than a riddle we need to solve. Sometimes we have trouble finding the answer and we create chaotic confusion. And probably because of our own ignorance, it isn't until the chaos appears that we realize what we were lacking. Each realization is just another piece of the puzzle. And most likely, life is just too short for most people to collect all the pieces. So is all this worth it? Or is ignorance truly bliss as Erasmus claimed it was? Sid contemplated if there was any way that all of that could have gotten to the same conclusion any quicker or easier. I guess I could have just kept my mouth shut and passively complied every time Paul had one of his angry moments, he thought aloud. But then it's possible nothing would have changed. And if we have this unique chance to actually do something in our life and to help people, enduring the chaos might just be worth it. As Sid was thinking this, his Skype began to ring again. This time, it was the science fiction writer. This guy didn't lack insight like Paul, but instead, he lacked inspiration. Sometimes I truly feel like I'm running a spiritual counseling service and not a publishing company. But in that thought, Sid smiled sincerely and answered the call. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free-thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. 
so please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster.